Now we're talking this whole year about incarnating Christ. Incarnating Christ is becoming like Jesus, so much so that our lives express the character, express the thoughts, express the emotions of Jesus. So that when people look at us, they are seeing really Jesus in us rather than they are seeing us. So that's what it means to incarnate Christ. And that's the theme that we'll be traveling through this whole year. So that slide is going to be continuously there before you to bring it to your mind. We have to become more and more like Jesus. Every day we have to become more and more like Jesus. In every way we have to think more like Jesus. We have to feel more like Jesus. We have to do what Jesus wants us to do. As we go towards the end times, as Jesus is coming back soon, we want him to come back and we want to be like him when he sees us. We want to be like him. Amen? So turn to the person beside you and say, I want to be more like Jesus. That's what we're aiming at. That's what we're looking for. That's what we're trying to be. We're not trying to be anything special in this life. We just want to be more like Jesus. And we want to talk about being more like Jesus in terms of dealing with these two emotions or these two things, contentment and covetousness. Now, I want to explain these ideas, contentment and covetousness. Now, contentment is the ability to be satisfied, to be able to be satisfied. You don't want anything more. You know, I had a, to, to understand contentment, sit yourself down at my table on a Tuesday night when we, everybody's having a meal around our table and Jenny's lasagna is there and a green curry is there and somebody else has bought something else, the food is full. We are hungry at the beginning, but after we have eaten, we have eaten our full and we sit down and we are feeling completely satisfied. That's contentment. It's the ability to feel completely satisfied and not hungry for anything anymore. I couldn't put another thing in. It's just satisfied in my heart satisfied so there's contentment in a lot of areas in our lives there's contentment with stuff there's contentment with finances content with where i am emotionally contentment with where i am in my relationships there's a whole lot of different areas in life which are a sort of hunger to them and contentment is the ability to be in all of those situations at a place of satisfaction where you don't want anything anymore put on the other side of that covetousness Covetousness is this ability to want something, even though you haven't got it and you, you, you are full of something, you want even what you can't have and what you don't get. You just want more and more and more. Now, covetousness and contentment, I don't want you to think that contentment is a good thing and covetousness is a bad thing. I'm, they are just things. If you are content about the wrong thing, it's a bad thing. If you're content about the right thing, it is a good thing. If you're covetous about the wrong thing, it is a bad thing. If you're covetous about the right thing, it is a good thing. So contentment and covetousness are not good and bad. They're just states of being, okay? They're just the way you're thinking about stuff. And I want to talk to you about that today because we oftentimes think, you know, I've got to be content in some things. And, and really, Jesus said, I don't want you to be content with where you are now and sit down and say, oh, I'm satisfied. I want you to hunger for more. And then sometimes he says, you know, I don't want you to be covetous any longer. I want you to stop the covetousness and rest and be still and be content. So it will change. It will be different depending on where you are. And I want to be able to talk to you today about that. And why is it that we struggle? No, no. 
a kookaburra sits in the old gum tree and he laughs and cackles, but he doesn't have this struggle with contentment and covetousness. It just isn't in him. A dog sits and barks at night time. He doesn't have a problem with contentment and, 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 and covetousness. He just is. But you and I tend to grasp this thing of something outside and greater than ourselves, and we tend to want what we can't have. And the problem is that is because you've been hardwired. God made you and created you to have something like that within you. You are not like an animal. You are not like a kookaburra who sits in the gum tree. You are a person. You are a human being. And he made your heart to grasp something that was far greater than you and therefore put a vacuum in you that you can never fill. It says in Ecclesiastes 3 verses 9 to 13, What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in their hearts, in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know there is nothing better for people to be happy and to do good while they live, that each one may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is a gift from God. So he's put eternity in our hearts, but oftentimes we do not experience that last part to eat and to drink and to be satisfied in our toil. We find that we are the most unsatisfied continuously. Things could always be better. Things could always be newer. Things could always be stronger. Things could always be fitter. Things can always be thinner. we are never really satisfied with our position in life because we can see something greater than us. We have put eternity in our heart. God has put eternity in our heart. When we look out into infinity and we see it goes all the way out there, the spirit of man wants to climb on a spaceship and find out what is happening out of the furthest parts. When you can see and look into a man's cells and look at The spirit of man wants to go as far as he can go into the intricate detail of the neurons and right down into the core of it to find out what's there. He wants to explore. He wants to go to the place that he can't be there. You want to get on your boat and you want to get in and just explore new places and new things. You're not satisfied to sit where you are and to stay where you are. You have eternity in your heart. You will always be unsatisfied. That's you created that way. And why did God create you that way? Because he is infinite. He is the infinite one. And if you are unsatisfied with your finiteness, he says, here I am. Love me. I am all that you need. Satisfy yourself on me. You'll never run out. He places it in his our life. So that we can draw near to God and so that we can come to know Him better. So the question really is what are you hungry for? What are you covetous for? What are you satisfied with? So God is very interested in your hunger, God is very interested in the thing that you are coveting, God is very interested in your level of satisfaction and what you are satisfied with. He is looking at you and he is watching you and he is gauging that. He wants to know what is causing you pain, hunger pains, and what is causing you satisfaction. David the psalmist says in Psalm 42, 
verses 1 to 2 and then in verse 7. And he shows you this depth of the hunger that he has. He says these words, As a deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. He's saying this is a thirsty deer and it's in the, in the forest and it's, it's by a stream and it's thirsty, thirsty, thirsty and he's watched the deer panting. He's probably chased the deer and it's come to the water and the deer is thirsty and it's drinking at the water, drinking deeply at the water in the forest. And he says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul thirsts after you, God. He says, my soul thirsts for you, the living God. When can I go to meet with you, God, he says. So he's hungry for God. He's thirsting for God. He's not satisfied with God. He's not satisfied with what he's got to God. And he says, then he goes in verse 7, he says, Deep calls to deep at the sounds of, of the roars of your waterfall. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. So he's got this idea like God, there's something deep within me that is just yearning for God. Deep calls to deep. At the sound of the waterfalls. We go through life and something inside of us just cannot rest. There's a restlessness calling out for God. You can't fill it with stuff. You can't fill it with what's in the world. You can't fill it with entertainment. You reach some peak on your drug. You want to go in. There's not enough. You've got to get more. Deep is calling to deep. And everything that we go through in life draws into something more. And the devil knows that. The devil knows that eternity is in your heart. And the devil's out to play a game of satisfying that or trying to get you to satisfy it in all the wrong places. It says in Psalm 34 verse 10, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want for any good thing. So we get an idea there. He says, you know, God if you seeking after God can satisfy the deepest hunger that you have. And Jesus said, I mean, in, in Psalm 23, and you all know this Psalm really well, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. You, want not, you, want, you won't want for anything. If Jesus is your shepherd, he will fill you and satisfy you. You'll have satisfy yourself in him. An old uh, lecturer told me when I was going through theological college, we are satisfied with an unsatisfied satisfaction. Can you say that? We are satisfied with an unsatisfied satisfaction. It's a really crazy thing. We are filled up to overflowing, satisfied in God, with an unsatisfied satisfaction. Why? Because we want more and more and more and more of God. Yet He satisfies me to the core of my being. Yet I want more and more and more of him. We are satisfied with an unsatisfied satisfaction. It's like a paradox, isn't it? Jesus teaches us in, Psalm, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 6, he says, Hunger and thirst after righteousness. And then he says, You will be filled. So he promises a filling, a satisfaction if we hunger and covered and thirst for righteousness. In John chapter 6, verses 35, Jesus says these words. He says unto them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes in me will never thirst. So he's actually saying, if you want to be satisfied, if you want to fill up your crop, you need to eat Jesus and you need to drink 
Jesus. You need to make Jesus the source of your nourishment. You need to make, need to make Jesus the source of your refreshment. Well, the devil's throwing lots and lots of things in you to nourish yourself. He says, why don't you just come for this and do this? And why don't you have that? If you had that, that would nourish you. Why don't you drink this? This will refresh you. Why don't you go and have this party? That will refresh you. Why don't you watch some TV? You'll get refreshed after watching TV. It's right. He's throwing stuff at you all the time to try and get you to feed from his table. But the feeding from that table will not satisfy you. When you come to Jesus and you make Jesus your nourishment, you're talking with Jesus now. You're reading in his word. You're, you're, you're studying his word. You're talking and praying to him. He's praying back. He's speaking to you. You're feeling this communion with the Holy Spirit as you spend time with him and he is nourishing you. Like honey on, and milk in your palate is the word of God as it seeps down and refreshes your spirit. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount on wings of eagles and they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting on him, he says. Jesus says, I'm the answer. I'm the answer. I'm the answer to your hunger. If you're looking somewhere else, you're looking in all the wrong places. Jesus says, come to me. Seek me. I'm the answer to your hunger. And Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13, he says, I have learned in whatever circumstances to be content. So Paul's a great missionary, and he's learned that no matter what happens in terms of his life, he is content because he's got God. I know whether to be in need, what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. He said, so I have had nothing, and I have been hungry. And he says, I have had heaps, and I have money in my pocket to give away. He says, I have been in both of those situations where I am poor and in poverty with no money. And he says, and I have money to eat and I have money to give away. He says, I know both of those situations. And he says, and in both of those situations, I have learned to be content. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we often quote that verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and think that it's I can do anything I like to do because Jesus will give me strength. And what he's actually saying in that context is saying, I've learned to have lots of money and learned to have no money. And in both situations, I am satisfied that Jesus is in control and Jesus gives me the strength to live in poverty as he gives me the strength to live in riches. I can do both and not be dissatisfied. I can do both and still be content. Mate, wouldn't that be nice, hey? Wouldn't that be nice to be married to somebody who was content in every situation? Isn't it hard being married to yourself if you're not content? Always wanting something more, something more that you don't have. And isn't it terrible having neighbours beside you who have the ability to get something more? And when you don't, you look over the fence, new car. Mm. Isn't it difficult to handle others' prosperity when you don't seem to be having prosperity? You're in a time of want. Isn't it difficult to watch another nation go from riches to wealth to wealth to wealth and think, why, why, all I have to do is I've moved to America and I'll be wealthy. Everybody gets wealthy who goes to America. So hang off, you know, it could be a different story in a couple of months. 
It's difficult because we have not learned to be content. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 10, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. That means if you really want to know what great gain is, he says, be godly and have contentment. He says, that's worth heaps. And he says, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if you have food or clothing, and I like that, you know, because everywhere that Jesus talked about your needs, he talked about food and he talked about clothing. I don't see anywhere there he talked about your car, your motor transport. I can't see anywhere there he talked about the TV or the, the Xbox or, or your computer or your education. I don't see anywhere there he's talking about the sort of house that you're living in. He said, your needs, he says, food and clothing. He says, for we have brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. <laughs> we living in the West. Turn to your neighbor and saying, you're living in the West. There's some stress living in the West. There is some stress living in the West. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves through with griefs, many griefs. And so we have in our situation here a sense where we, we just don't think that Jesus is enough. In our society, it just... I know what you're saying, Mark. I know that you say that Jesus is enough. But, you know, if I'm really honest with you, my personal experience is this. I just don't think I got enough. I am not happy with what I've got. I'm not satisfied where I am. There is within me a drive and a desire to get more because I come out and think that if I have more, I would look better. Somehow if I have more, my status would be different. People would look at me and I would have a better sense of status and community if I had more. So inside of me, I'm driven. There's a driven then. I'm just feeling a draw and a push to get more. You might have food. You might have clothing. And God may have given you a reasonable house to live in. It might not be fantastic. It's just a reasonable house to live in. But somehow, it ain't enough. You want to get more, more houses, more cars, more toys, more trips, more holidays, and it just goes on. Why? Because he put eternity in our hearts. I suppose um, we have to deal with that and find out where that came from first and try and work out what it is to overcome that. Because that is what it is living in the West. And, and this, this thing of living in the West is living under a demonic stronghold that is continuously talking to you on a daily basis that you aren't even aware of and that you've just taken as being normal. My goldfish swim in a pond. And in that pond I can put food in the pond, I can put stuff in the pond, I could put salt in the water. And they may react a little bit to start off with, but after a while, they'll get used to it. They'll get more slime on their skin and swim around in the salty water and it will be normal for them. They won't actually say, oh, I'll die now. 
They just get used to it. They just get used to it. That's the same with us. We live in a, in, a, in a society that is feeding stuff into us all the time and we get used to it. We just get, it's, if you go back to when I was a boy, and some of you can't because you weren't, are not that old, but I can, I can go back to it. The things that we used to do when I was a boy, if you did, that, they're completely different to the things we do now. We're, we're, and my grandfather used to talk about, you know, he could remember days when the, 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 the guy who would bring the milk would bring the milk with a horse and a buggy and the, and the milk was in the back. You know, everything was on horse. And granddad told us, he could tell us, he could remember those days. Well, you know, well, come on, Mark, you know, we're not living in those days. Not too long ago we were. But we got used to it now. We've got cars and we're driving new cars. And you've got to have, and we get used to this thing. And it's just like, this is normal for us now. And if granddad was alive today or his grandfather was alive today, they would, sit, they would sit and look at us and think that we are all witches or something because of the things that you could do. Jen's father could never get over the fact that you could put somebody's face in there and talk to somebody's face on like that. And just, that was just like, never got used to the microwave. Mm-mm, don't touch the microwave. How's it cooking in there? We don't see anything. How the microwave? Is the demons in there making it hot? We get used to it. We get used to it. It's just normal for us. So we live in a naturalistic society. So what's naturalism? Naturalism is the idea that nature is all there is. Material is all there is. That there is no spiritual, spooky, spooky world out there. It's all just physical. Most atheists are naturalists. They just believe that it's all material stuff. There is no spiritual side to it. They think that's just a, a consciousness, your ability to think, your ability to think of spiritual things is just a sort of a, 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 an accident and it does, it's not real. It's just sort of a, a thing that we learn, do to cope with the fact that uh, we have some sort of uh, awareness of ourselves. So materialism... Naturalism says that material things are all that matters. So because most of our society is educated in terms of naturalism, you go out there and people say, ah, they don't believe in God. You know, they, they have a negative view of God and they don't really understand that, that view. That's in the West. Materialism is similar to naturalism. Materialism says that matter is the only thing that's really good and you have to get more matter. Just get more matter. So materialism is the thing that started in terms of building up an idea within us to get stuff because stuff matters. So consumerism, that means shopping, was an idea that started in probably the 17th century with a guy called Adam Smith. Everybody say Adam Smith. Adam Smith wrote a book called or wrote a treatise called The Wealth of Nations. Everybody say The Wealth of Nations. So his, his idea in the 17th century was he was saying, how can we get nations to be wealthy? So he wrote a, a treatise called The Wealth of Nations, and in the treatise he had this basic line. If you can get people to pursue their wildest and greatest desires, selfish desires, you can make a lot of money out of that. If you hunger for what you don't have, I can make it for you 
And if I keep on giving it to you and you keep on wanting it, I can make a lot of money out of that. So that was the whole treaties of the wealth of nations from which we established this whole idea of consumerism. So in the 17th century, that was taken up. It became a kind of contagious disease in people's lives. The big idea was that shopping, if you get people shopping and, and they keep on shopping, then wealth is generated through the shopping and then people are, are getting paid for their work and they're building up their businesses. They're getting more money. People are getting what they want and it goes round and round the full circle and everybody is wealthy, 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 wealthy. So it, apply, it, it, it appealed to people's sense of want, covetousness. There was one big deceptive idea that your life, you know, you thought you might be buying different products. I bought this washer, dishwasher. I bought this uh, um, microwave. I bought this new car. You think you're buying different products. No. You're not buying a different product. You might be buying a different, but you're buying one idea. And the idea is life is better if I have more stuff. That's the idea. That's what the idea is being sold to you. Life will be better if I can get more stuff. So that's consumerism. The whole of the West is built upon consumerism. It's built upon the idea that you can sell. So the marketplace was changed to a department store, and those who are old enough will remember the time that department stores first came in. They were amazing. You know, people would go from the corner shop or the marketplace and go to a department store where every floor was something you could buy, and people would be sitting there trying to lure you into buying, and it was just like, woo! America did this in a big way, and America became booming rich. Wealth just flooded into America because everybody wanted to buy stuff. Everybody could remember Mr. Ford started to make a car. He put it on the industrial line. He made a car that everybody, only a few could have, that he made it possible for everybody to drive a car. He made whoppings amount of money. And then other people took, Chev took that idea and, and he made a factory to make cars as well. And everybody started making factories to make cars and said, you can buy cars. And everybody started to buy cars. Everybody started to buy washing machines. Everybody started to buy TV sets. Everybody started to buy stuff. They started to come in and we dumping the stuff. So we dumped the stuff. It's not even broken. We dumped the stuff now to buy a new one. That's consumerism. That's the West. When you're in Africa, you don't have that. You want that. So you come here, and when you come here, it's like, now I can get more money. I can buy more stuff. That's the message of the West. Shopping is what it's all about. Shopping. Shopping has become our new, our new religion. We create our new cathedrals. They're places where we hang out. Thursday night, I'm going up to Hyperdome. What are you going to do? Just hanging out at the Hyperdome. I'll do some shopping, window shopping. Look at what's there. Say, g'day, have a cup of coffee. You know, this is the place where we fellowship. This is the place where we meet. This is the place where we connect. This is the place where we hang out. This is the place where we worship their stuff. That's the West. And when you think you have enough shopping centers, another one bigger and better opens up on the corner. And I wonder where they're going to get all the people to buy all the stuff for, which produces the problem. Now, now this, it, it, the, the problem was it 
How do you keep people buying stuff when they got enough? How do you keep people hungry? So they, they, they started to look at psychology. And they looked at a guy called Edward Bernays. Now, Edward Bernays, he was a psychologist and he became the father of public relations. They said, Edward Bernays, help us. How do we keep people buying? Now, we're talking about government policy here. We're talking about setting up an idea in a world to control the finances of a world. We're not not talking about... We're talking about a, a demonic construct to completely take you away from your hunger for God. We're talking about a mindset that has been designed to kill you if you keep facing it and chasing it. It's demonic. The Bible does not tell you to buy and to buy, but it tells you to be content. This world tells you. So Edward Bernays says, I will search out the motivation of a man. I will find out what motivates him. And then when I have found out what motivates him, I'm going to make advertising to include that. And so you will buy because you will be motivated to buy because I know what... Look at me. Look at your husband. Look back at me again. Now look at your husband. Can you smell what I'm wearing, Old Spice? If your husband was wearing Old Spice, you'd be standing with me. Look at your husband. Look at me. Look at Old Spice. Buy Old Spice. You think it's funny? Everybody laugh when you. Who's seen that ad? Who's seen that ad? That ad is telling you something about the method. They're saying you would like to look at that very handsome black man there. You'd like to have that band, and you look at him. Look at your husband. Look at him. Now you want me, don't you? You know why? You, you can have him. You can have someone who smells like me. Close your eyes. Smell it. It's me. The deception is there. Oh, you don't think they'll do that to you? You don't think they'll do Who buys Nurofen? Put your hand up if you know what Nurofen is. Tablets. Nurofen pain-killing tablets. Okay. All right. Now, this is, what the, uh, this is what the last little scam. Did it in your Woolworths store. You've got Nurofen for period pains. Nurofen for hay fever. Nurofen for back pain. Nurofen. And they're all twice as much as your Nurofen normal. It's all the same product. The only thing that's different is the package. It's the same Nurofen amount, the same stuff. The only thing that's different is your mind looks at it and says, I've got period pains. Oh, Nurofen, that one. Twice as much. I don't care. Help me. You got, you got lied to. And you paid money and you, you... Oh, and they said, that's why we went to university and that's why you're the dummy. You see, we just throw it out on the water and we're fishing for you every day. We're knowing what's going on in your heads and we're deceiving you every day because you're eating at that pond. Marketing 101 is all about learning how to put beliefs into products. It's not about selling the product. It's not that the dishwasher is any better than that dishwasher. It's that if you use that dishwasher, you're going to look like that lady. It's not it. When they used to smoke, you know, you, Marlboro was the smoke for the Marlboro man. 
You're riding a horse. <laughs> if you're smoking Marlborough, you're laughing. <laughs> They're all dying now with lung cancer. But if you're smoking Benson and Hedges, same tobacco, same stuff, Benson and Hedges, you're obviously in the upper class. of the Only upper class people smoke Benson and Hedges. Same cigarette, just a different idea. And you know what you do? All the upper class person bought Benson and Hedges, long skinny ones. And the lower class people bought menthol, whatever it is. Oh, Alpine, yeah, you're nice and clean with Alpine. Big, nice little package with the mountain high Alpine, and that's good. You know, you get the clean smell of Alpine. Smoke. Come on, seriously. Now, you can laugh about it, but you've all been stung by it. You can laugh about it, but it's taking money out of your pocket every day. And the money's not the issue, it's just that you have learned that you. Think like it now. You think like it. You think it's, this is what it's, it's. Look, life would be better if I had more. Life would be better if I could have more stuff. But riches can't give it to you. Money can't give it to you. If I gave you all a million dollars, if I had that much money, and I could give you all a million dollars, you would still be unsatisfied. And you know why? It's not the money. It's the relative wealth. Do you understand what I just said? Relative wealth. It's not how much money I have. It's how much money I have in comparison to you. So if I have the same as you, it's not as good as having more than you. And I always feel better if I can have more than you because that satisfies my sense of ego. It satisfies my sense of status. It satisfies my sense of comparison when I'm making all the wrong comparisons. So it's not wealth. It's the relative wealth. And that's where this thing starts to drive wedges in our community and break up our community and divide our community because we are now eating up of the covetousness that Jesus says, do not covet. And so you keep coveting, and so you never stop. Never stop. ABC and uh, Channel 7 and Channel 9 are, are um, arguing now in the courts for 20 minutes of advertising time per hour of TV watching. 20 minutes per hour. At the moment, they are, they are restricted to 15 minutes, but it's not enough. See, they have to work out a good balance. How much do they do this before you stop watching? And they figure in Australia that they can do it another five minutes. They're going, we want 20 minutes of ads while you have an hour of... So they want a third of the time just advertisement. That's what they're going... There's an article in the, in the, in the, uh, on the paper just uh, last week I read. Why? Because we're living in the West. This is the water in which we drink. This is the water in which we live. The Jesus says here, so do not worry, saying, what shall you eat or what shall you drink or what shall you wear? For the pagans run after these things. Yes, and we're living in a pagan world. So they are running after these things. We're living in a world that is pagan. That's why they're running after those things. He says... Your heavenly Father knows what you need, and you have need of these things. And this is the great thing. I want you to stop for a minute and just to think about this. 
the bill that's on your fridge. Your heavenly Father knows what you have need of. Uh, if you can't pay it, he knows that and he will provide a way for you to pay it. He will make a way. The bills that come on on a daily and a regular basis, he has completely aware of it. Your need for food, he knows that. He has set everything in place and you will not go hungry because the Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. He's faithful. He's completely faithful. He will follow through for you. He will be there for you. He says, he knows what you need. Don't worry about it. Don't stress about it. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you. He says, don't let your hunger go for the stuff that doesn't fill your crop. Let your hunger be for Jesus. Let your hunger be for the word of God. He says, and he will make sure you get everything. I said to one man, oh, I said to, I said, I think I said, I said to your church, God is able to give us a church like that overnight cost us nothing. Remember I said that to you? I stood up and said that to you. God, I was driving down the coast one day and I was thinking about being in a hall here and thinking, oh God, would it would be lovely to have our place or do have a place. And I remember driving past the building and God said to my spirit, he says, Mark, I can give you something immediately without you even striving for it. You don't have to go and get a loan. You don't have to get money. He says, I can give it to you just like that. And I kind of think, you know, you can, God, you are big. You're enormously big and you can do that. You can provide for our needs. So I just stopped stressing about that. Turn that whole argument off. Talked about, you know, what should we do? Press ourselves for more money. Come on, give more money. We don't even take up an offering here. What's wrong with you, Mark? Seriously. <laughs> you give free will offerings, but we don't put it to you. And what is this? Because Jesus is bigger, much, much bigger than that. And then this opportunity has come up for us now. And they won't take a cent. We try to offer them money. for. They don't want us to pay any money. They just want to be generous to us. And I'm just sitting there, Jesus, you are so good. You're just so good to us. I just think, wow, we reap where we have not sowed. We enjoy a banquet that has been prepared for us. God is good. Amen? You know, it says, Do not store up yourself treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He tells us to really get out of this. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now, I want you to understand that that scripture there, the eye is the lamp of the body, is a very profound scripture for us in the West. Because everybody's playing with your eye. Everybody's playing with your perception. Everybody in the, in the media world, in the, in the advertising world, they're all playing for your perception, the way you see something. Their advertising comes to affect your vision. It comes to affect the way you see yourself or the way you perceive yourself. It has been laden with beliefs so that you will start believing something other than you have now. You get dissatisfied when you see that new vehicle because you look at your old vehicle and you remember the smell of the new vehicle and you say, how can I get the new one when the old one is quite okay? 
Your perception is being messed with. Now listen to me. Listen to what he says. Listen very carefully what Jesus says. He says, But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the way you see something is not right, darkness will flood into your being. If you are filled with every dissatisfaction and you, you need more and you don't, you're not happy in your life because you haven't got stuff and you haven't got prestige and jobs and whatever, then maybe your eyes are not seeing properly because what's in you is dark. It's as if the light within you is darkened. How great is the darkness. And then he sums it up with these words, no one can serve two masters. He says, either you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, he says. Now, the word mammon is interesting. It's the word for money, but it's, it's, a, it's also the word for a demonic being, a demonic principality. Mammon is a Chaldean, a Syriac word which says wealth, riches. But it's also the name of the personification of the God of riches. So here it is where clearly Jesus says, is somebody going to play for your focus? Either give God your focus or the God, the principality of the, the demonic world who is presenting himself in, as wealth and riches is going to come and say, come and get some, baby. You can't serve him and God at the same time. He says you can't sort of be pursuing this and at the same time having God. It's impossible. You've got to be devoted to one or the other. Now that's difficult for us in the West because we have eating and drinking this all the time, all the time, all the time. It's coming at us all the time, all the time, all the time. Which means that if we live in the West, we have somehow got to become different to everybody else in the West. We've got to have that deep satisfaction that comes from Jesus. We've got a deep calling unto deep at the sound of your water brooks. We've got to go back to God and say, God, you are the shepherd of my soul. You give me all I need and I can be satisfied in you. I've got to be satisfied in God, yet unsatisfied in where I am in God and press on for more. I've got to be content in the things of this world, yet covetousness for more of God. I want more, and when i got more of God, I want more and more of God. And if I'm not covered with those sort of thoughts, and that's not surrounding my life, then the devil will have a hook inside of me, and he'll be drawing me out of my chair, and I'll start chasing all the wrong things and be filled with every wicked desire and intent. You know, you think about it. 20 minutes of advertisement pumping at you through a TV if you're watching TV every day. Don't you be surprised if you start wanting things that you can't have. And don't be surprised if you start taking on extra work shifts or taking on more money, going extra do, to buy extra stuff, you know. And then, you know, they want me to work on Sunday because Sunday's when they, and that's why I'm going to work on Sunday. Why? Because I get extra money on Sunday. Why? Because I can get extra stuff. Just a minute, wait a minute. You're just doing something really dangerous there. You're shifting your allegiance from God to a demonic principality that's ruling over our nation consumerism how many times do you pick up at the letterbox a handful of rubbish can you believe how much money is being pumped into educate you if it didn't work they wouldn't do it 
You say, this is just, just junk mail. And you sit there and you just looking for the deals. If I could get the deal. Hey, super butcher. Coles have got this. It's all rubbish. Pick it up. Put it in the bin. Say, I'm going to protest. You wasted it at this house. I'm going to put it through the muncher and put it on my veggies gardens. I'm going to make something out of what you just put in my letterbox. If you start reading it, don't be surprised if you start feeling the need to buy something because it works. They have percentages. They worked it all out. They sat down with psychologists to work exactly what they need to do. When you go to the movies and you see certain things in the movie, they know exactly what they're doing, the adverts they're coming on. They know exactly how to pitch it to you. You know why you buy bubble gum or whatever it is you buy when you go to the movies? Because they know exactly what they need. They know the temperature of the room, what it has to be so that you will purchase more popcorn. When you go walking into a shopping centre, they know exactly what the temperature has to be. So when you, They know what the music has to sound like. They know how to set it all up so that they have worked it out exactly how to get your, you to buy their particular brand. They know exactly how to do it. They have studied it. And they are working on you. There's only one place to be free. That's with Jesus. So I am content with what I have. I'm content with what I wear. I bought this at a second-hand shop. I don't think I did, but my wife bought it. It wasn't a second-hand. I don't know. Where did you buy this one? Kmart? Big W. Whoa. I got, yeah, they were expensive ones, these ones. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't, don't ask me how much they cost. I won't want to tell you. Big W shirt. Hey, you look all right? Can't do much about the fat, but, you know. It hangs all right, hey. Let's stand. Friends, I, I want you to think about this. What, we, what have we been saying today? You're living in a very corrupt society. The, the society is corrupt and it's working on you. This is not a passive environment that you're living in. This is an active environment. And if you don't keep your guard and your watch, you'll be taken out. The devil wants to put some serious unrest inside your spirit, some serious, serious discontent about where you are. He does that by poisoning your mind with demonic lies that says you have to get more to get better. He's playing with those two ideas, contentment, and covetousness. Remember, contentment is fine and covetousness is fine. It's just what you are being content with and what you're being covetous for. You get them right and the right balance for the right things and it is good. You get that screwed up in your head and you start asking for the wrong thing in the wrong place and you're wanting the wrong things and you're not satisfied with the right things. I can't help you. The devil has got you hooked. You need to repent from that. And put your head back into God and say, God, I want you to become my satisfaction. I'm hungering and thirsting after you, Jesus. I want you to be the source of my want, Lord Jesus. I want to, when I look at the world, I want to be dead to the world and the world is dead to me. There's nothing that the world wants from me and there's nothing that I want from the world. I want to be dead to that. 
But I want you, Jesus. I want you, Jesus. I'm coveting after you and you satisfy me. You satisfy me so much. I just want you some more, Lord. And my heart is calling out to you. Deep calls unto deep. Lord Jesus, never stop filling my life with your presence. Now, you might have been distracted. Look at your happiness factor, whether you've been happy in life or disgruntled in life. Whether you, look at the arguments you've had with your spouse over the last week about stuff. Ask yourself the question, is this driven because you can't find contentment? If that's the case, let's, let's give it to Jesus and ask Jesus to help us with our dis discontent. Amen? And ask Jesus to fill us with a hunger for him. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for the word that speaks to our hearts. We come to you right now in Jesus' name, and I pray right now that you minister to this congregation. We want to be more like you, Jesus. We want to have your feelings. We want to have your emotions. We want to have your thoughts, Lord Jesus. Cleanse our hearts from this world, I pray. Purify our hearts from the stuff that would contaminate a pure heart, Lord Jesus. Lord, we want to be filled with you. We want to have our nourishment in you and our refreshment in you, Lord Jesus. We come to you right now in Jesus' name and we pray against every work of the enemy to dissatisfy the work of grace in our lives, Father. And Lord, we speak, Lord Jesus, your word into our lives to call us to seek after you, Lord Jesus, while you may be found, to call upon you while you are near, Lord Jesus. And Lord, we shake off every distraction and every shackle that the devil would try and place on us, Father, in Jesus' name. We are yours, Lord Jesus, and you are ours. In Jesus' name, amen.